Chapter Five of House, Garden, and Field by L. C. Meal. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Holly Fly. The holly trees in my garden and in the hedges around are regularly mined by the larva of a two-winged fly. In spring, summer, and winter, many a holly leaf is seen to be blistered the blister sometimes extending over a considerable fraction of the upper surface. When the blister is opened with a needle, one or two minute yellowish-white larvae, with black heads and tails, are found within. They pupate in April or May, and form flattened oval cases of a rusty color and smooth shining surface. Each case shows a number of regular transverse lines which mark the segments of the larva, for this is one of the very numerous dipterous insects which form their outer pupa case from the dry and contracted larval integument. In June, the fly is ready to become free and lay its eggs in the young leaves. But how can the fly, which is minute and unprovided with a biting mouth, escape through the tough epiderm of the holly leaf? The aperture by which the egg or the larva passed in was extremely minute and is now choked up by dead vegetable matter. Even if it remained open, the fly would have to ramble up and down in a very low passage at the risk of damaging its gauzy wings in order to discover the way out. The problem is not to be solved thus. Consider for a moment how you would provide for such a difficulty, if it had been left to you to arrange the life history of the holly fly. Some people to whom the question has been offered as a puzzle have found it too hard, and nobody has succeeded who had not knowledge of the behavior of other insects in like emergencies. Yet it is really as easy as making an egg stand on end. When the fly has come forth, you see a hole torn in the blistered epiderm, and in that hole the empty pupa skin is left sticking. If we watch the leaves daily, we sometimes detect not an empty but a full pupa skin, still lodging the body of the future fly, and wedged in a good-sized hole. The last act of the larva, before it ceases to feed and move about, is to bite through the epiderm, and thus all the rest becomes easy. Do not fail to remark what we can hardly help calling the forethought of the larva. If it were to fail to force a passage beforehand, the future fly would be hopelessly imprisoned. Just in the same way, a wood-boring larva comes to the outside of the tree trunk, a leather jacket, larva of daddy longlegs, to the surface of the ground, shortly before emergence, and when the fly has become free, the empty case is often seen half-protruding from the burrow. This difficulty is no sooner overcome than another appears. The last larval skin in this, as in all the more specialized flies, is not cast at pupation, but retained as an outer defense during the resting stage. It usually hardens to a shining brown or black cylinder, tapering at both ends, and somewhat resembling a seed. Inside this the fly develops, shrouded within a soft white covering which is the proper pupal skin. All goes well until the moment for emergence arrives. The fly is then so tightly packed within its double case that it cannot move a limb. Its skin is soft and flexible. How is it to force its way out? You might study this problem for a long time without hitting on the expedient which nature has provided, an expedient which has this chief merit, that it hardly ever fails of its purpose. Upon the head of the newly formed fly is a bladder-like expansion, which can be so greatly distended with liquid as to exceed in size the head itself. The liquid is the transparent, colorless blood of the fly. So great is the pressure within the bladder that the end of the hard outer shell is torn open, a specially prepared cap being often detached, and through the orifice the fly creeps out. During the act of extrication, the bladder can often be seen alternately swelling and collapsing. 
blue bottles, house flies, cheese flies, and many more escape in the same way from the barrel-like case within which they were developed. The holly fly belongs to the enormous family of the muscidae and is not very unlike a diminutive house fly, being only two and one-half millimeters, or one-tenth of an inch long. It is nearly black, but the proboscis and halteres balancers are white. The female fly lays an egg upon a young holly leaf and thus starts the new generation. The little maggot feeds all autumn, winter, and spring, devouring the soft green cells of the evergreen leaf. Its body is sufficiently transparent to show a green line traversing it from one end to the other. This is the alimentary canal filled with fresh green food. By the help of the microscope, we can see that the head, as in other maggots, is reduced to a vestige. Even the paired jaws have disappeared, and the biting apparatus is a simple arrangement of hooks or teeth which serve to loosen and bruise the soft leaf cells. Two or three galleries are often run through the same leaf, and as many pupae are of course developed. They seem at first sight to share the gallery between them, but if the leaf is minutely examined, it will generally be found that partitions are left, and that each pupa inhabits a separate cavity. The larva of the hollyfly is preyed upon by two parasitic hymenoptera, which subsist upon the tissues of their living host. Shortly before the winged fly is due, an insect of a quite different kind may emerge from the blister made by the hollyfly larva. For a long time I could find no trace of this insect, egg, larva, pupa, or fly, during late summer and autumn. The flies emerged in June, but the blisters never appeared on the holly leaves before November. What went on during the interval? Was there perhaps a second brood fed upon a totally different plant? Every likely method of observation was tried without success. Once our attention was directed to little dots on the underside of the holly leaves, which looked like the holes made by a small egg-laying fly, but these turned out to be only the pricks of other holly leaves made in a season of high winds. The puzzle was at last solved by Mr. T. H. Taylor, who discovered the young and minute larva in September, and thus supplied the part of the story which had escaped our notice. The egg is laid in June by the newly emerged female fly on the underside of the mid-rib of a holly leaf, lately come to its full size, never on an old leaf. The place where the leaf is pierced, probably by the larva, afterwards becomes conspicuous as a red spot. As soon as it hatches out, the larva bites its way into the vessels of the midrib, and no doubt finds itself very well off there, getting complete protection and an abundant supply both of liquid food and air, without trouble or anxiety. It travels slowly along the vessels, and may take four months to cover half an inch. At length it turns sideways, quits the vessels of the midrib, and passes into the web of the leaf, where it begins to feed on the green cells. Soon after this, a small blister begins to show, and this first catches the eye of the poring naturalist, who had been searching all the time for blisters, and never dreamt of examining the midribs of the leaves. End of chapter 5